Welcome to the Paradigms and Perspective Podcast. I am your host, Joe Simmons, and on this podcast, we talk about paradigms and perspectives and how people can achieve different results just by changing their paradigm and their perspectives. Let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Paradigms and Perspectives Podcast. Now, I know I've been away and I've been on a hiatus, you know, dealing with personal issues and, you know, just feeling on the weather, but I'm excited to get back uh, to recording for you guys. So let's get right into it. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about why you're not starting. Yes. Why are you not starting that dream? Why are you not starting on that goal? Why are you not trying to achieve your ideal dream myself? And the source for this material is alux.com. I've said it before on the podcast. They're an aspirational luxury brand for you to live your most wildest and ambitious dreams. As I said in the intro, why you're not starting? And one of the main reasons why most people don't start is they don't trust themselves to succeed. That's right. One of the main reasons why most people don't start on goals or dreams or do things that they really want to do is because they don't trust themselves to succeed. And that could be for a lot of reasons. Number one, lack of support. If you didn't grow up in an environment where you received a lot of support, it's kind of really hard to trust yourself to succeed when, like I said, when you didn't grow up in a family that was very supportive, when you wanted to achieve your dreams and goals, or if you just wasn't in everyday environments, that was very supportive. And I know that was something that I struggled with uh, growing up, too, when I wanted to do certain dreams and certain goals, is that I didn't really trust myself to succeed because I didn't feel like I had that support or there wasn't a specific environment that I felt like I wasn't in that was supportive, you know, to do certain things. And like I previously mentioned, especially when it came to academics or when it came to creative pursuits, it wasn't until later on in my life that I was able to find a support system and get in the right environment that did allow me to go on to succeed in certain areas and to achieve certain goals. The second reason why a lot of people don't trust themselves to succeed is doubt. You just doubt yourself. But more than likely, that doubt came from a programming or from thoughts and ideas and conditioning and emerging from being around people, once again, that don't support you. So doubt just takes it to the next level. First, they didn't support you. Now they doubt you. Why don't you just go ahead and do this? Don't try that. That will never work. And when you keep hearing this over and over and over and over again, you're actually programming yourself consciously and unconsciously. So I can understand why certain people don't trust themselves to succeed. Once again, you don't have support and you start to doubt yourself, especially if you look up to certain people where they have influence or you may feel like they have authority over you. And or they just may be older than you and you, and you trust them. You be like, hey, you know what? Maybe they may be right. 
And then they'll always tell you about how long you've been starting something. You haven't really made any big progress. So that'll reinforce the doubt that they really may be right. When a lot of times I just realized that, hey, you know what? Things uh, take patience. And they always take twice as long than you initially anticipate. So uh, doubt is another reason why a lot of people don't trust themselves to succeed. Uh, Another reason why a lot of people don't trust themselves to succeed is just taking the first step. The first step becomes so daunting. It becomes so overwhelming. You're filled with anxiety. You start to overthink. And then you start to wonder, can I really succeed? And then, once again, it also reinforces why you don't trust yourself. Because that also reinforces the doubt and that also reinforces the support. The lack of support, should I say. So you don't take the first step. And if you don't take the first step, you can't make progress. And if you don't make progress, you can't complete. And if you can't complete, then you can't achieve. So it's all tied together. And one of the last reasons why a lot of people don't trust themselves to succeed is because the longest journey does begin with the first step. So even what that means is, is that you know it's going to be a long journey. But even if you take the first step and the first step does go right, you're wondering, okay, well, what about the remaining steps along that journey? And you know it's going to be a long journey, but then this is also with patience. Then you're going to have to develop confidence. You're going to have to develop perseverance and resiliency along the way as well. But you do have to trust yourself. And my solution for trusting yourself to succeed is you just got to do it. You just really have to do it. And you can't worry about what other people think which is an upcoming segment, and I'll go further into that. But, yeah, you just have to go out and do it. And don't worry about it. Because it's better for you to just try it and do it and you for yourself know than for you to have regret and wonder what if. What if I would have tried this? What if I would have did that? It's better for you to know and find out than for you to not know and wonder. And not only that, it's better to be a failure than to be somebody that never tried. Michael Jordan says it all the time. I can accept failure, but I cannot accept not trying. Next up is a common one, and I've been guilty of this as well. Not the right time. Not the right time is one of the all-time greats when it comes to not starting. It's not the right time. Well, let me tell you something. The time will never be right. All we have is the current. Now, it's good to look back at the past. And sometimes it's good to look at the future. It's good to look at the past because you get to learn from history. But it's good to look into the future because you have, you know, uh, optimism. But at the same time, all you have is the current. 
And like I said, I'm also guilty of this too. Sometimes looking too far into the future. You know, that's one of the downsides of being a visionary is you look too far into the future. But like Kobe Bryant says, you just have to take it one day at a time. You have to try to make today as best as you possibly can. And like I said, time will never be right. And I think that's also an excuse that we get. Oh, well, it's not the right time, so I got to wait till it's the right time for me to get started. There's no time like the present. The present is all that you have. And like I said, I'm guilty of this. I've used this excuse, because that's exactly what it is, numerous amount of times. Oh, you should, oh, that's not the right time. What about this? Oh, that's not the right time either. The time may not have been the most conducive, or it might not have been optimal, but I still could have put forth some effort. It just really came down to it being a priority. And it just really came down to me overthinking. The second thing I would say in regards to not the right time is that, which I kind of briefly mentioned, is that you have to use the available time that you have. Because we never know how, we don't know how much time we have left on this clock. We don't know how much time we have left on earth. We don't know how much time we have with our bodies. You don't know. Not only that, windows close. Opportunities close. Now, I know I've been, you know, I've mentioned Richard Branson a couple of times where he says that, you know, opportunities are like buses. One comes every 15 minutes. Now, that is true. But the same opportunity does not come every 15 minutes. And there's research and there's thoughts and there's philosophies on that the average person usually has three to seven big opportunities in their entire life. That's where most of the opportunities occur. And a lot of those opportunities occur before 50. Now, if you're over 50, that doesn't mean that there's, you know, all hope is lost because we've, we've heard and we know stories about people that's over 50 that still have had success. Now, you may not have achieved your highest potential of success because you missed out maybe on some of the big opportunities before 50. But if you take advantage of the right ones at 50 or after 50, you still can have a great life. You still can live a good life. So you never want to run out of time, so to speak. And then when you think back on all of the time that you had, that you wasted, or that you didn't make a priority. But this all comes down to sacrifice and cost. What are you willing to pay for it? Are you willing to sacrifice, you know, the temporary pleasure for delayed gratification, increasing the probability that you do get exactly what you want? You have to, you know, you have to invest your time. And like I said, you know, it becomes, it depends on what's the priority. We invest our time in things that we think are important to us. So my solution for 
this reason of not being the right time is truly take advantage of the time that you do have because you, you just never know. You're thinking, oh, I'm going to get to this tomorrow. Tomorrow comes, that opportunity is gone. And like I said, I've been guilty of that. I've had jobs where I've had on LinkedIn, I've saved, and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to apply to that tomorrow. Come tomorrow, oh, they're not taking no more applications. Or if I want to try, oh, sorry, we're not doing that. You have to wait six months. Or times when I wanted to invest in a personal development program and I wasn't sure. I got to wait nine months or this happens once a year. So now I got to wait till next year. And I'll just leave you with this quote from uh, motivational speaker, Eric Thomas. Like he says, you have to look at things as an opportunity and not an obligation. And next up, other people's judgment, other people's opinion. As Gary V always say, everybody sucks at other things too. And I think this is a real crush that holds a lot of us back. Is that we're worried about other people's opinions because we want to be seen in a certain light. Like I talked about on a previous podcast episode, we want the attention and we want the validation. We want people to quote unquote, as we say, stamp us. You know, we we want that validation. We want that approval. And sometimes when it comes to your dreams and goals, you're just going to have to do it and not be concerned about other people's opinions. I mean, it's your life for crying out loud. And like I said, that's going to be one of the hardest challenges is not worrying about what other people think. Not worrying about other people's judgment. Like I said, I'm guilty of this. I've been there too. There's been times I haven't made certain decisions or I haven't done certain things because I'm worried about somebody else's opinion. Whether that's family member or at times when it's been a romantic interest. But you need to ask yourself, is somebody else's opinion, is that bigger than your dream? Was that bigger than your goal? That's what you need to ask yourself. You really need to sit down and really assess that. Is it, hey, I can achieve my goal, but some people may not like it. Some people may disagree with it. Or am I going to just let these people have their, or am I going to let their judgment and their opinions win and not do what I really want to do because somebody else's opinion? As we say, everybody won't like you and everybody won't like what you do. But, you know, focus on the people that do. Since I'm continuing the thing with quotes, I love James Patterson, uh, who's who I consider my favorite author. And like James Patterson says, there's hundreds of thousands of people that don't like my books. There's millions of people that do like my books. I tend to focus on the latter. And that's what I will leave you with. Focus on the people that, you know, that will embrace you. It's the same thing. I was just having thoughts and having a conversation with myself earlier this morning when it comes to social media about amassing a lot of followers. 
I know I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I know I'm an anomaly, especially somebody that loves high performance. And only 10% of the population globally are high performers. So I know my pool is going to be small. You know, my goal on LinkedIn is 10,000 followers. I'm not trying to be an influence. I'm not trying to be a ma major influencer. I'm not focused on the, in, the, in, the in, uh, infamous 100,000. That seems to be the magic number for a lot of these platforms. Oh, if I could just get to 100,000, then okay, let me scale from there. I'm not focused on influence. I'm focused on impact. That's what I'm focused on. So if I can impact a thousand people, Versus having a million subscribers or a million followers. Because in my opinion, that doesn't really mean anything. You can have a lot of people that follow you. But they don't really purchase your products. They don't really purchase your services. Or you're not really fully making an impact. They're just watching the videos. Whether that's for education purposes or whether that's for entertainment purposes. But I want to be able to... I want people to be able to say, you know what, he, he truly did make an impact in my life. Not just, well, he, you know, he, he, he really does give good content. Okay, I appreciate that. But I really want to impact you more. I really want to make a difference in your life. I want you to be able to have had some type of progress. I want you to be able to say, I was here and he helped me get here. Whether I help you achieve the goal fully or not, or even if I just help you make 50% progress, that's what I really care about. Like I said, not that, hey, I created content and I had 100,000 views on this or I went viral or I had a million views on this. That's not what I'm worried about. Like I said, I'm focused more on impact than influence. So I would just say, Try to tune out the noise of other people's judgment. Like I said, some people don't like it, some people won't. But take James Patterson's advice. Focus on the people and make an impact in people's lives that do like what you're doing and that do support you in achieving your dreams and goals. Next, friction or Overcoming obstacles or overcoming adversity. Nothing in life goes according to plan. There's going to be friction. There are, are going to be obstacles. But another thing we got to focus on is not focusing on the obstacles. And you got to focus on the opportunity. Like I said, it's, it's going to be there. You know? You're either going to have to go around it or you're going to have to go through it. That's just, that's just is what it is. Now, like I said, try going around it first. But, you know, there's just going to be things that you just can't get away from. You're just going to have to go through it. I like uh, what Gabby Bernstein, uh, a famous author, and she's the author of Eat, Pray, Love. Uh, which there was a movie based on that book, which is is basically kind of, kind of like a memoir. And she talks about what she calls the shit sandwich. 
And she says that in every endeavor, especially creative pursuit, there's going to be a shit sandwich. There's going to be an obstacle. There's going to be things that you don't like to do. There's just going to be things that you're going to have to overcome. I knew there were certain um, things that when it came to me when I was in corporate, I had to do certain negotiations. I had to eventually prepare myself for opposition or people that was going to disagree with me. And it wasn't that I always wanted to be liked, but I just always wanted to be heard and be respected and see if we can try to come to a common ground. But I just knew that there was just going to be some times where there just goes going to be people that that is just was going they were going to become obstacles. They were going to become opposition. I was going to find my way on how I could either go around it or I'm just going to face it head on. I just was going to pick my battles. That just, you know, it, it is what it is. You know, and I know if I was talking about this, but I think this is very fitting. It came to when I was in the band. I could think of uh, two, well, I could think of probably, I could think of three situations. So I'll tell them real quick. The first one, which the infamous one, is when I got embarrassed. When we had to sight read a piece of music. Sight reading, for those who are not uh, music literate, it's just basically you're, you read a piece of music and then you play it without any real practice. Or without any real feel for it, so you just giving you just guess, just giving a shot at it. And we had an opportunity the day before to practice, but I didn't practice. So when it was time for to show up at band practice, I got exposed. It's a lot of obstacles, you know. Rightfully so. My bandmates, you know, they heckled me. They made fun of me, you know. Even the, even my band director, Mr. Jackson, you know, I got, like I said, I got humiliated. I got embarrassed. There was a lot of obstacles, a lot of adversity, you know. A lot of people was like, hey, you know what? He's done. Stick a fork in him. Even though, and I was a section leader, so I was supposed to set the example. So they're looking at, okay, well, you know what? He's not coming back tomorrow. That was just too embarrassing. And like I said, I took a lot of licks. And then on top of that, I had to ride home on the local transportation bus with some of my bandmates. So I got it again. So it was, it, it was, it was real humbling. It was real humbling. But I said, you know what? This is not going to happen again. This is not going to happen again. Went home, practiced. Week later, 
It was time to play it again. Like I said, everybody was snickering. And I gave a great performance and I got my respect back. I redeemed myself. The second story, which is kind of similar, which happened before that was similar situation. Uh, this time I was in the trumpet session, which is more competitive. Same situation. I had a chance to sight read, didn't sight read. Uh, it was a little bit more challenging. And I got put in the last chair. Once again, for those that are not musically literate, when you get put in the last chair, that means that you pretty much on your way out the door. Right, you like one more mistake from being kicked out. So I was like, yeah. But I didn't, I didn't do as a good a job as I did prior, uh, as the previous story that I told. But once again, I was like, you know, I'm going to beat this obstacle. I'm going to overcome this. And I'm glad that I did go home and practice because the next day we had another competition. And there was other people that didn't practice. And I was able to move up three seats. So now I was the fourth from the last chair. So I learned to, you know, keep that. But another, the last story I would tell was when I was actually uh, playing a solo. We went to uh, a competition on that solo and ensemble. Where, you know, the ensemble part is where you play a piece of music for competition as a group. And then the solo part is where you actually compete as a solo. And at that time, um, I was getting ready to perform. Now, my support system left me. Uh, I didn't have the proper mouthpiece that I usually have. I just didn't have the resources. And I wasn't in the best health, so my diaphragm and my throat wasn't the best so that I can, you know, blow into the instrument. But I'm like, you know what? I'm still going to play anyway. Now, I played the piece. Uh, I made two mistakes while playing the piece. So it was, so the ranking was superior Excellent, good, fair, and poor. And I think I got, I got good, but I barely got good. Like, I barely got a good. If I would have made one more mistake, I would have had a fair. Now, of course, I wanted an uh, excellent. I knew I wasn't going to get superior because I knew I didn't have that talent and I didn't practice enough for me to get superior. But I wound up getting a good considering the situations that I face. So, as you heard from them three stories, I just had to overcome obstacles. 
And I'll just tell one more story in this segment. You know, when I wrote my first book, it was the same thing. I had to overcome the obstacle of, number one, not having experience. But number two, of editing and grammar and syntax. I love to write. I love to express myself as a creator. But when it comes to grammar, syntax, and when it also comes to editing, I am not the best at. And I knew I wasn't, I didn't have the budget for a professional editor. So I was going to edit the book myself. So to overcome this obstacle, I wrote the book in simple terms. And I also wrote it in the sense that the synthesis of a very basic sentence structure. So I didn't have to worry about a lot of commas or comma splices or even semicolons for that matter. I made sure that because I knew, like I said, I know this is a weak area of mine. I know this is an obstacle of mine. So let me not try to stack the chips against myself. So as you can see in those stories, I had to overcome obstacles. There was friction. And you can do the same. But the thing about it is, you just have to embrace it. So, what's the solution? The solution is, take a step forward. Be okay with taking steps backwards. Continue to make progress. And just acknowledge and accept that, hey, you're going to have obstacles. And like I said, you either can go around it or you can go through it. But just be ready for both. Just be ready for the obstacles. And and I'll end on this final note. I think a lot of times we fail to overcome obstacles because we go in with a fairy tale mindset, or sometimes what people call the Disney mindset. We think everything is just going to be perfect, which that's another segment coming up. But we think everything is going to be perfect. We think everything is going to be ideal. There should be no problems. There should be no obstacles to try to achieve what we want to achieve. And that's not the case. So if you prepare for it, and over time, you increase your competency and your courage and your confidence and your cognition and your consciousness and the consistency of that, you'll be okay. And this would be the, the, the B part to that. When I was in corporate and I would solve the escalations that had a lot of obstacles, that had a lot of challenges. I was able to do it in half the time and at higher efficiency and competency than everybody else. Why was that? Because I anticipated obstacles. I anticipated problems. I anticipated challenges. A lot of the other escalation consultants, they didn't want to, they didn't anticipate that. They just went and, okay, well, I see this, so that means that I'm good to go. I'm in the clear. All I have to do is just get 50%. No. 
And it was usually always that last quarter that always tripped them up. And then they come to me and say, oh, man, I have this part, what I need to do. And I'm like, okay, one, two, three, and this will solve your problem. And they're like, that's it? I'm like, yeah, that's it. And they're like, well, how did you? I'm like, because I anticipate this. And I had experience overcoming those obstacles. So just remember, you can't overcome the obstacles. Now, of course, it's going to take practice and it's going to really take patience. you got to stay relaxed. That's something that's very hard for a lot of people. Staying relaxed under pressure or sometimes what it's called as being stoic, based on stoic philosophy. But remember, you can't overcome the friction and the obstacles to achieve your goals and dreams. Next overwhelming goal. That's right, you're overwhelmed. But just like with the obstacles, you blow it up. You make it bigger than what it's supposed to be. Just like in the film industry, we have what is known as 16 millimeter film. Now, a lot of times, in order for it to play in the theater, you have to blow it up. And you have to blow it up because 35 millimeter is is the uh, standard with 24 frames per second. So even though it's 16, you have to blow it up. That way it'll fit big on the screen. But that's what people do with their goals. They they blow their goals up so big. And that's different than dreaming big and having big goals. This is in regards to when you make the goals so overwhelming, hence pun intended, that you don't start. You make everything so big, and then you also minimize small progress. But as we all know, all goals and all achievement is comprised of components. Not just one big goal, not just one big action, not just one big activity. Or as Tony Robbins, like the famous, he's saying, you overchunk things. Or sometimes in society, we just say you blow stuff out of proportion. Or you just turn a molehill into a mountain. Or I like what T. Harv Eckert says. You know, he calls it mini-me. Meaning that if the challenge or the obstacle that you have is rated at a higher scale than your skills and your competency, it's going to be overwhelming. So, for example, like he says, if you have a level 10 problem, and you're a level five person, then of course that goal is going to be overwhelming because you're a level five person or you have a level five skill set and the problem or the goal or the thing that you're trying to achieve is a level 10. So of course it's going to be overwhelming. Getting back to the film reference, if you're a filmmaker and you have it really made a feature film yet or you haven't made a lot of films in your career and the first thing you say is or you want your second film to be a 200 million dollar movie it's going to be overwhelming especially if the only movies that you have been making are under fifty thousand dollars 
It's going to be really difficult for you to just jump from a $50,000 film. All of a sudden, now you, you're making a $200 million movie. That's going to be extremely overwhelming. That's going to be hard to do. It's not impossible, but it's definitely challenging. It's the same thing, too, when it comes to making money. If you've made, if you've never made six figures, you made less than six figures, and then you create this challenge for yourself, you're going to go from zero to a million in a year. But you've never made six figures. That's going to be extremely challenging. Or even when it comes to your health, and you say, hey, you know what? I want to lose 80 pounds in one year. Where the most you've ever lost in one year is 10 pounds. So you've never lost more than 10 pounds in one year. But all of a sudden, in one year, you're going to lose 80 pounds. That's an overwhelming goal. If you have a hard time, let's talk about relationships, especially talking about communication. If you've had a hard time communicating to your normal colleagues or if you had a hard time communicating to even your local community but all of a sudden you say, oh, I want to do a tech talk. You don't have a lot of experience number one with communicating number two, speaking. Public speaking on top of that. But you're going to go want to go do a tech talk it's overwhelming. Same thing with your goals. So here's the solution. Don't make it overwhelming. You need to do the opposite of what Tony Robbins talks about. You need to you need to not underchunk, but you need to create smaller goals. You need to create milestones. That way it's more manageable. Not only that, you can measure your progress. So you don't want to overchunk the goal and you don't want to underchunk the goal. Just create the goal and create milestones. And then you just make progress towards that. Preferably frequently and consistently. Then you will get to that goal. Going back to my book example, when I wrote my book, I didn't make it an overwhelming goal for the sense of writing a book and the sense of actually writing a book. My main thing was having an accountability partner and not procrastinate and stop being lazy to even sit down to write the book. But once I sat down, I said, you know what? It's going to be a simple book. It's going to be a simple book. And the book wound up becoming a little bit over 140 pages. And actually, I didn't even think it was going to be that much. I really was focused on 100 pages. I said, you know what, my first book, let me just write 100 pages. And it just so happened with double space and formatting, it wound up being more than 100 pages. But that was my goal. I didn't set out there, but oh, you know what, I'm going to write a Harry Potter book. 
Or I'm going to write a James Patterson book, which sometimes is 300 pages plus. Or a Harry Potter book, maybe, you know, 800 pages or 500 pages. I didn't say I'd do that. That would have been an overwhelming goal. So once again, don't set overwhelming goals. Have a goal and break it up into milestones. And then, like I said, frequently and consistently move forward towards those milestones. And once you complete all the milestones, you will complete that goal. Move on to the next goal and rinse and repeat. One of my personal favorites, perfectionism. Yes, perfectionism is a huge reason why a lot of people don't stop. As some of you may know, perfectionism is also what I call one of the major stress triggers. And this also goes in line with being overwhelmed or having overwhelming goals. So because you have this perfect plan, you have this perfect vision, you have this perfect ideal, it has to be perfect. Everything has to be perfect. You got to have the resources. Go back to what we talked about earlier. It has to be the perfect time. Everything has to be perfect. But sometimes waiting for perfection, it never comes. This is why we always advocate and advertise progress over perfection. This is also why the business community, why a lot of the big uh, Fortune 500 companies, why they say 80% done is better than 100% incomplete or 100% of perfectionism. Like I told you before, things don't always go according to plan. Matter of fact, I'm not trying to continue to keep plugging my book, but there's a section in my book where I talk about that, where plans go wrong. It goes wrong. It it never is really perfect. Because here's a newsflash, if if you haven't already got this memo. Things are never perfect. Why? Because things usually either always go better than you anticipate, or they go worse than you anticipate. So, like I said, there's very rarely where it goes exactly the way you want it to happen. So, if you stuck on this goal, and it has to be exactly this way, like I said, you're going to have a hard time achieving it that way. That's why another thing, too, with me, that's why I love being a task-based leader. And not a database leader or what I would call a, a journey leader. See me, I'm not focused on the journey. I want the result. I want the goal. That's what I want. I'm 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 not worried about the perfectionism. Getting back to my book, the book cover that I have. That's not the original book cover that I wanted, but hey, you know what? My goal was to get a book published within a year. And I knew the book wasn't perfect. But my goal was to get a book. If I wanted everything to be perfect, it would have took me longer than a year. Probably would have took me, first of all, I already procrastinated for five years straight. Then it would have probably took another three years to actually get the book done the way I actually wanted it to be done. 
And I'm actually glad that book wasn't perfect. Because now I have things in which I can improve on. So I'm glad that it wasn't perfect. Not only that, by not being perfect, I developed a formula. I developed habits, which initially are called Harmony's Habits. This is an exclusive. I initially called it Harmony Habits because when these habits was in harmony, it allowed me to finish my first draft in 33 days. That's what I call my dream concept. In the sense that you have to dream in order to dream. The D stands for discipline. You need discipline. The R stands for repetition. You have to repeat it over and over and over. How many times have we had? We're creatures of habit. How many times have we heard? It's not what we do once. It's what, what we repeatedly do. You need repetition. E, execution. You got to get the hours in. You got to do the work. A, accountability. People work better and people produce better when they know they're being held accountable to a certain degree. And then M is for momentum. Momentum makes things accelerate faster. So when you're disciplined, you you have repetition, you execute, you have accountability, you build momentum. It's easy for you to achieve that dream. But also what I want you to notice is that the E of execution is in the middle, which is the heart of making your dream become a reality. So actually, what you really can do is what I call the dream loop. You can actually start in the middle and sense, okay, well, you say, you know what, I'm going to execute. When you execute, you create more accountability. When you have more accountability, because you know you have more accountability, you're going to build more momentum. Now that you have the momentum, this is going to anchor your discipline. Now that you're disciplined, this is going to anchor your repetition, your frequency, and your consistency. Which is going to lead to more execution, more accountability, and more momentum. Then it's going to be on the loop. But the reason why a lot of people struggle with perfectionism. It's because going back again, you number one, you worry about what other people think. And like I said, I'm guilty of this. But what was an eye-opening response for me is that a lot of times what I thought was insufficient was way more than enough for a lot of other people. And I learned this when I was a trainer. When I would train certain things and then sometimes I get down on myself because I didn't feel like I didn't train them or a certain situation didn't go perfect. And they'll tell me, hey, you gave me way more than enough. Because I had the bar set so high, I had to realize, oh, wow. And, and a lot of times it'd be basic stuff. Stuff that I thought was basic is monumental or astronomical to them. And they're like, no. They're like, 
your average or your basic is actually perfect for us. So I had to learn that and not be so hard on myself. So, yes. Oh, before I forget, the second thing when it comes to perfectionism is that there's a lack of optimism. But there's also a lack of adaptability. And then there's also a lack of confidence that you're going to get to that. But this all comes in also in point with competency. So if it doesn't go perfect, as sometimes we say you like to throw the baby out with a bath water, the reason why you panic, the reason why you get overwhelmed, the reason why you have anxiety is because you're not confident that either you yourself or that you don't know the right people that's going to help with that competency to overcome those challenges or to overcome those obstacles or that adversity so that you can achieve your goal. So I'll give you an example. Let's say, for example, you're working on a project or even you, you're working at a company. And the goal is we want to make $10 million dollars. From January to December, you want to make $10 million, right? But let's say the first quarter comes and you only make $100,000 in the first quarter. Now you're freaking out because you said, hey, you know what? We were supposed to make at least $2 million plus in the first quarter and we only made $100,000. So now you know what? We won't be able to achieve this goal. Now, let's say the second quarter comes. And let's say up until that point, you've made $3 million. So in the first half of the year, you made $3 million. You didn't even make $5 million. You $2 million short. So now you definitely, most people are definitely giving up on the goal. You say, you know what? We had this perfect goal of making $10 million in revenue for the year. And we've only made $3 million in the first in the, in the in the first half of the year. How are we going to make the other $7 million up? But let's say, for example, you do stick with it. There's still a high probability that you can make $7 million in two, quor- in, 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 uh, in two quarters. Yeah, in two quarters. And who's not the same? You know, one week before the end of the year, you look at the accounting books, what do you know? You made $10 million. All because you kept going. All because you also increased your competency. You remained patient. You got more strategic. You got more deliberate. You did an audit. You see what went wrong. You see what areas you could improve. So, yeah, you don't want to be like the 80 to 90% that, like I said, in the first quarter, if you only made 100000 you're like, well, you know what? This goal is now unobtainable, so let's switch to another goal. But you got to give yourself a chance. Even if you do start off at 100000 you got to give yourself a chance. If you don't give yourself a chance, you will never know. 
And that's one thing I like, uh, I really admire about myself and also about my son. That in certain situations, we start slow. But we're very confident, we're very optimistic that we can catch up. And that's how I always start. And that's how my son starts too. I don't know, I'm not sure if it's genetic or not or hereditary, but we both start that way. We both start slow and then we pick up steam. And then before you know it, boom, you bypass everybody. So don't focus on perfections and focus on progress. I remain optimistic. And I know that's easier said than done, but you got to have faith. You gotta, and I'm not saying you got to be uh, religious or even spiritual for that matter. But just have a belief that, you know what? I can't get this done. Or even if you don't know if you can't get it done, say, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to get this done, but let's try. Let's see how close I can come. And 80% of the time, you will hit it. 80% of the time, you will meet that goal. But you just got to give yourself a chance. Not only that, if you don't get it this time, there'll be other opportunities for you to get it. So that's my recommendation for in regards to perfectionism and not starting. Next up, a common favorite. And I'm definitely going to make this one quick. Fear of failure. Yeah, that's right. You're not starting because of fear of failure. Once again, more than likely, you're worried about other people's opinion. You're worried about looking silly. People making fun of you. People having something to say. That's really what it is. Most of fear of failure is you're worried about somebody else's opinion. Now, Sometimes it can also be where it may win on your confidence. But what is failure anyway? Failure is just a statistical event. It's just an activity. It's an event that happened, but that doesn't make you a failure. Like I said, you're only a failure or you only lose when you quit. But not only that, failure to me is just a learning experience. That's it. You learn something. Or as Jim Rohn likes to say, failure is just a few wrong errors in judgment. That's all it is. I truly do believe, fail forward. Quote, unquote, in parentheses and quotation marks, air quotes, failure. It's just learning. That's all it is. You learn something that you didn't know. Okay, you move on. You either learn to not do that again. Or you learn, okay, hey, this is how I can make the next time better. That's it. It's just learning. And it's better for you to learn now than to be prideful. That was another thing, too, when I was in corporate. Everybody was like, how do you know all this stuff? Because I failed. They couldn't believe it when I told them that I was the worst employee. Because they're looking at, okay, you're the best trainer. You're a top performer. You've been doing this consistently. You was the number one producer for three years straight. How did you go from being the worst employee to being the number one producer? And even the number one trainer. And even being a subject matter expert and a consultant and dealing with escalations and dealing with all these high level things. How did you do that? 
because I quote unquote failed a lot. But see, the thing was is that a lot of them didn't see my failure because they wasn't at the company. But not only that, I was failing in private. This goes back to, like I said, the Tony Robbins quote. People are rewarded in public for what they practice in private. So because I was falling a lot in private and I was learning a lot, when it came time for it to be public, I was rewarded. Now, like I said, my remix to Tony Robbins is this. If you work hard in private, you'll be rewarded in public. But if you don't work hard in private, then you'll be exposed in public. I'll say that again. If you work hard and you're disciplined and you're learning and you're growing in private, you will be rewarded or praised in public. But if you don't really work hard or if you're casual and private, then you'll be exposed in public. It's as simple as that. So, what's the solution? Don't be afraid of failure. It's just learning. That's it. All of this is just learning. Something you didn't know, now you know it and you move forward. I mean, look at another film reference, Robert Rodriguez, the Mexican uh, filmmaker, one of my personal favorites, a legend in the independent film game. Robert Rodriguez even says that he didn't expect the mariachi series to be successful. He wanted to make three movies. He thought all three of them was going to be a failure. But his goal was, like he says, you want to get all your bad movies out the way. So just make them. Make them, fail, quote unquote, learn and get better. And his little mariachi movie that he thought was a failure, because like he said, he wanted to go straight to home video. He didn't think nothing of it. He thought it was a failure. He didn't think nothing of it. Sony TriStar picked it up and said, hey, well, you know what? Let's just show this in the theaters. They showed it in the theaters and it tested well. And he said, hey, give me a couple of thousand dollars and I'll go reshoot it. I'll go reshoot the ending. They're like, no, it's fine as is. They put their little magic touch on it. And a little, I think it was $7,000 movie, went on to gross a million dollars at the box office. Now, talk about a failure. So, like I said, go out. Fail fast, fail forward, learn, and move on to the next. Not knowing where to start. That's another one. Well, I don't know where to start. I don't know how to get started. What should I do? I've even had this conversation with my own mother. I've had this conversation with family members. I have this conversation with friends. Hey, y'all want to do X, Y, Z, whatever the goal is. Oh, okay, when you'll get started on that. Uh, what's the deadline? Or how do you see that? I really want to do it, but I don't know where to start. What do you mean you don't know where to start? 
Just start. You know, like I said, there's three ways to knowledge, or there's three ways to learn. Number one, trial and error. Number two, research. Or number three, as I always talk about on the podcast, get an accelerator. But just start. But the biggest one that I see a lot lot of people is the research. People don't want to do the research. Number two, people don't want to do the research. People don't want to do the research. But the first step to doing this, going into the solutions already, is knowledge. Get you some knowledge. Like Eric Thomas says, knowledge is the new money. Get you some. Just like I was watching earlier today, uh, a second interview between the Wall Street Trapper and Tom Billy from Impact Theory. And, you know, they were talking about how the Wall Street Trapper, he went and learned the stock market. And like he said, a lot of people don't invest in the stock market because what was the first thing they said? They don't know where to start. They don't know about the stock market, so they feel like they can't learn. You can learn. Number one, you have the number one search engine in the world, Google. Number two, you have the second search engine in the world, YouTube. But more important, number three, you can go to the library. I've been in financial services for over 10 years. And a lot of stuff that I learned, I learned from books. In 2022, when I was recovering from that two-year mild depression, and I read 32 books in a year, half of those were personal finance books. Once again, it comes down to sacrifice. You got to be willing to put in the work. I was willing to learn. When I was at the bank, I was learning. When I was in investments, I was learning. Now, like I said, I wasn't a good financial advisor or even more important when it came to selling. But when it came to product knowledge, I knew all of the product knowledge. Now, like I said, my colleagues, they may have been better at me than actually physically selling the products. But when it came to product knowledge, nobody was better at product knowledge than I was. I made sure of that because I wanted to know. Same thing when I was in corporate. I wanted to know. Like I said in the previous segment, failure is nothing but learning. So when you say, oh, I don't know where to start, knowledge. Once again, also going back to my book. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to plug it. And I know I keep saying I'm not trying to plug it. But this stuff is just keep coming up. And it's in my book. That's another reason why knowledge is the first chapter in my book. Mad Money, 12 Foundational Principles to Make More Money in Half the Time and Half the Strength. Chapter number one is knowledge. I talk about that at nausea because knowledge is important. Knowledge is the first step. This is even exactly in my billionaire framework, my C5 concept that I talk about. When I say step two is cognition, 
That's knowledge. So first, I need you to wake up. I need you to be conscious. Once again, how do you become conscious? You need a paradigm shift. So once you have your paradigm shift, now you're conscious. Now after you're conscious, I need you to get cognition. And the foundational step of cognition is I need you to get knowledge. But like I told you, there's three ways to get knowledge. Number one, trial and error. Go out and try. But once again, you probably won't try because you're afraid of the fear of failure. But two, research. Learn about it. Put in the time. You can read books. You can even watch videos. Or if not, audio. Listen to audio books. Or even listen to podcasts like this. But there's no reason for you not getting the knowledge that you need. Or if you have money, you don't have enough time, hire your accelerator. That'll give you access to the knowledge brokers. Another way that I excel in corporate was like I said, I had Noemi Morales, who was my, who was my Yoda. She was a knowledge broker. You see what I was doing? I was getting knowledge first. I was getting educated first. It's hard to really come up with a strategy, which is important, which will lead you to the execution if you don't have the knowledge. Once again, you either have time or you have money. A lot of people don't have money. Okay, well, you need to invest your time. People always say, well, how do you know so much? Like I said, from 2010 to 2012, when I was broke, I had time. So what I was doing, I was learning. That's what I was doing. I didn't have the money. I had the time, though. So I'm like, okay, cool. Let me, let me get educated. Let me get knowledgeable. But if you get knowledgeable, it'll help you with knowing where to get started. Once again, it comes down to priorities. What's important to you? Second thing, which I kind of talked about a little bit, you have a hard time taking action. So even if you do have the knowledge, you have a hard time taking action so that you even know where to get started. But once again, like I always say, this comes down to really to adaptability, which is chapter four in the in my book. But you also need, like I said, perseverance and resilience and being uh, resilient. But why don't you take action? Goes back to what we talked about. Goes back to the reasons why you don't start, which is what we talked about earlier. You don't take action. Why? Fear of failure. You don't take action because you're worried about other people's judgment because you want to be validated because you have insecurity. And then two, perfectionism. So all of this, all of these things line up together. And when you compound these, of course, there's no reason why you don't take action. But that's why I say, and like I said, in my C5 being their blueprint, you got to get cognition. But it's also is really anchored, which I talk about is the number two reason why most goals, most goals or dreams go unfulfilled. Impatience. You're not patient. That's why you have perfection is because you're impatient. Like I said, I'm guilty of this. There's a lot of goals that I thought that I should achieve already. I'm 35. 
I should have been a millionaire already. I should have done all different things. Similar to what a lot, a lot of people do. But I'm saying, you know what? Goes back to what I talked about at the right time. Okay, what can I do now? How can I use this time now? Yeah, I didn't achieve the quote-unquote goals that I thought that I wanted to achieve at 35. Okay, cool. Now I'm 35 on. What can I do? And focus on that. Get knowledge. Come up with a strategy. Execute. If it goes well, okay, cool. I have a blueprint. If it doesn't go well, what can I learn from this? What adjustments can I make? Let's retool. Come up with a new strategy. Until I get the strategy that works for me, that delivers me the results that I want. So, what's the solution? Get knowledge. Once again, either trial and error, research, or get you an accelerator. Which, once again, an accelerator is a mentor, a coach, a consultant, a trainer, or an advisor. I'll say that again. A mentor, a coach, a consultant, a trainer, or an advisor. Anybody that knows more than you on a specific topic or a specific subject. When it comes to taking action, take the first step and adjust. Keep going. Take the next step. Adjust. So all you're doing is take a step. If it works, move forward. If it doesn't work, adjust. Take another once course correct. Take another step, course correct, adjust. Rinse and repeat. That's all you're doing. So, there should be no reason when you say, I don't know where to start. Find out. Get the knowledge and take the necessary actions and adjust along the way. Next up, fair competition. First of all, you shouldn't even be worried about competition. This is what I loved about Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs wasn't worried about the competition. Number one, he already knew he was better than the competition, but Steve Jobs wasn't even worried about the competition. And this is the problem that a lot of people make, and this is the problem that a lot of businesses make. You focus on the competition. You need to focus on the customer. Jeff Bezos even said this himself. He said they don't worry about competition. They focus on the customer. They focus on giving the customer the best experience. You, you don't need to focus on competition. You need to focus on competency. Like I always say, competency comes before compensation. That's what you need to focus on. So, number one, don't even focus on the the competition. Number two, focus on competency. That's what you need to focus on. You need to focus on competency. You need to focus on improving. And then also when it comes to improving, you need to focus on improving when it comes to progress, when it comes to yourself. If you are going to compete, you compete against your personal best. That's what you're focusing on. But also, too, rooted in that is you need to focus on the fundamentals. That's what you need to focus on. Don't be worried about the competition. Not only that, you need to go out, like I said, if you focus on competency, you need to go focusing on doing the best you can. The chip's going to fall where they lay. Sometimes you win and sometimes you learn. As Master P said, a loss, an L is not a loss. It's a lesson. You learn. Even if you're competing in sports or even if you're competing in the arts, 
That's the problem. It's a big distraction, which is also another stress trigger. You you worry about this competition. That's a distraction. You're not even doing your personal best. And like I said, this is a big mistake that a lot of businesses are making because they worry about their competition, but they're not even focused on their culture. They didn't even not even focus on retention. Once again, they spent too much time on acquisition and not enough time on retention. But you worry about the competition, though. It's like we always say, you need to focus on your own house. You want to tell somebody else, oh, this is how you should make money. Or this is how you should be healthy. Or this is how you should be in your relationships. When you have your own problems at home, why are you worry about other people's problems when you have your own problems at home? So don't focus on the competition. And a lot of times that's how you beat the competition. Like I said before in the previous episode, when I was in corporate, I wanted to be the number one producer. Yeah, there were competition. Yeah, there was obstacles that was in the way, but I, it wasn't even really about them. It was about me. It was about me improving. It was about me improving my competency. When I focus on what I can do internally, outlearning them, outworking them, being adaptable, not resting on my laurels. That's how I beat the competition by focusing on myself. It was it's an inside game. I wasn't worried about them. Just like what Kobe Bryant said when he talked about practice, like he says, with his training regimen and stuff like that, he know what they doing. He wasn't really worried about compete competing with LeBron now. He was competing with himself. He was trying to improve his competency himself. So that when it did came time for them to compete on the court, he had a huge probability that he was going to win. He won a lot of those battles. Now, some he lost, but he won a lot of battles. That's why I say competition. Like I said, no more, you shouldn't even be worried about competition. But if you go out and compete, compete with yourself. Improve on yourself. How can you get better? How can you increase your competency? You focus on the wrong thing. Focus on the wrong thing. Focus on yourself. Worry about getting yourself better. But see, the reason why we focus on competition is because we use the competition as a disguise to hide our own insecurities, to hide our own inadequacies, to hide our own incompetency, the three eyes that I always talk about. It's a distraction. You're wasting time focusing on other people, focusing on the fear of competition. We can be putting that into yourself. So those are my solutions when it comes to the fear of competition. Number one, don't even worry about the competition. Number two, focus on competency. And number three, if you are going to compete, compete with yourself. Worry about improving yourself. That's what you need to be worried about, not the fear of competition as a distraction because you're wasting time and you're wasting opportunity for you to increase your competency.
Another one, not disciplined or too lazy. That's another reason why people don't start. Going back to that D in dream, discipline. Or people that's just not lazy. But also, too, that laziness just means that it's not a priority. It's not important. It's just not important. So that's why you're not going to be disciplined. That's, that's, not, that's why you're going to be lazy. Once again, that also could be, oh, it's not the right time. Also, I don't know where to start. But it really, like I said, it really just comes to, it's not important to you. It's really not. But here's the easy solution to this. Do the small things every day. That's right. How do you fix not being disciplined or being too lazy? Do the small things every day. Once again, like I said before, break it down into milestones. Do the small things. But a lot of times we overwhelm ourselves. Just like with me with writing. This was something that took me a long time to learn. Two-minute drills. When it comes to write, just do two-minute drills. Just sit down and write and just say, hey, you know what? Two minutes. You can even set a stopwatch on your phone. Just set it for two minutes. So, you know, I'm just going to write for two minutes. Not only that, you may say, I don't know what to write. Just write what you're thinking. You can always go back and fix what you wrote. As I love what Hollywood Film uh, Institute uh, legendary teacher Dove Simmons always say, nothing's written, it's rewritten. That's our famous saying that we use when it comes to writing. And it's the same thing, too, when it comes to just doing things. And notice I said, do small things every day. I didn't even say do it with confidence. I didn't say do it with mastery. You can even start off bad if you have to. But just do things every single day or as frequently or as consistently as possible. Then you will start learning about mastery. Then you'll start to build momentum. Then you'll want to do it more. No, that, that two minutes will help you get in the flow. Because it'll be so good that you just say, oh, I just want to do two minutes. Two minutes turn into 10 minutes. 10 minutes turn into 30 minutes. 30 minutes turn into an hour. I've had that happen to me. when I, Matter of fact, when I was writing my book, I'm exhausted or I'm tired or I ain't fully energized. You know what? I'm just going to write two minutes today. So I'm just going to write 10 minutes today and I wind up writing for an hour and 45 minutes. Now, granted, I'm a writer. I love the writer. I love creative expression. But whatever it is for you, do the two-minute drill. If you're a real estate agent, just look at listens for two minutes. Read the contract for two minutes. If you're a professional athlete, watch film or read the game plan for two minutes. Whatever it is, just do it for two minutes. There's a high probability that you're going to want to do it for more than two minutes. Or even if you want to read a book, just say, I'm going to read two pages. Just read two pages out of the book. More than likely, you probably may read a chapter or you might even read more chapters. I know I've done it. 
I've been at the library. Oh, okay. I ain't see about the James Patterson book. I'm just going to read two pages. I'm just going to read the first chapter. And the good thing about James Patterson, his books are usually two, usually two pages or two and a half pages to a chapter. So I read the first chapter. I'm like, hey, this is good. I keep reading. I keep reading. I keep reading. Even when I go to Barnes & Noble, I see a book that I may like, oh, okay, I'm just going to read the beginning. Before you know it, it's 15 minutes that gone by, I done read already. It's the same thing when it comes to being disciplined. It's the same thing when it comes to not being lazy. Just do the small things every single day. That's it. That's all you got to do. Like I said, once again, you're going to start building momentum. You're going to start feeling good. Your confidence is going to go up. Your courage is going to go up. Then before you know you're going to, you're going to develop your own routine. And it's going to get better. Before you know you're going to be off to the races. So that's it. Just do small things every single day. I'm scared to go at it alone. A lot of times, most journeys, you have to start alone. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to finish alone. But a lot of times, you have to start it alone. That's just the bottom line. And here's a real news flash for you. More than likely, most of us was born by ourselves, and most of us are going to transition by ourselves. That's just life. That's just something you can't get around. But here's another thing, too, about you're scared to go alone, just do it anyway. Because here's two things that I want to tell you about being scared to go out alone. Number one, everybody loves a winner. So, it's not until you don't gain momentum or until they can see your progress. That's when people want to help you. So, when you always hear about people say, oh, people help those who help themselves. If you're not going at it alone and you're not trying it alone, there's no proof. There's nothing for anybody to see. This goes back to what I talk about, my six degrees of ambition, idea, interest, and desire. But like I said, that fourth wrong commitment, you're committed to it. You're doing it. If you just stay stuck with, okay, it's an idea. I'm interested in it. Or if you just stay stuck as a desire, maybe a lot of people won't want to help you because they don't see anything. You just talk. You're just doing stuff. So, like I said, it's not until it becomes a winner or the potential of becoming a winner that that's when people get behind you. That's when people really believe in it. But a lot of people, if you just tell them an idea, if you just tell them a vision, a lot of people won't be able to, to see that. So you're going to have to go at it alone. The other thing about it is, is that Sometimes you have to do it alone because ain't nobody coming to help you. So the opposite side of everybody loves a winner, if you don't do it, who will? That may be another dream, another goal, another vision that go unfulfilled. Not everybody's going to push you. Not everybody's going to be there for you. Once again, that goes back to the what we talked about in the first segment about not having support. You have to go at it alone. Like I said, a lot of people won't be able to see it until you start to be, come into fruition. 
It's going to be lonely. It's going to be dark sometimes. But if you keep going, you'll see the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, I think it was Sujin Jeffers who wrote the book, uh, Fear the Fear and Do It Anyway. You got to go at it alone. If you don't, like I said, who will? Once again, like I said, everybody loves a winner. This is the reason why if you start a new business or if you do something new, people still looking at you with their old identity, their old frame. And maybe you can use it as motivation to say, you know what, I'm going to show them. I'm going to at least try something. Like I said, even if you try, you quote unquote fail. At least I can be like, oh, okay, well, at least when he said he's going to do something, at least he's going to try. Everybody's not going to see what you're going to see. Everybody's not going to agree with what you're, gonna, what you're trying to do. Sometimes you just, you just got to go at it. But part of that is you have to, but you have to be okay with the results, though. I'm going to go at this. If it work, but like I said before, if it work, great. If it don't work, okay, what can I learn from this experience? That's, just, that's what's going to help you with being okay with going at it alone. But you just have to do it. Not having the right tools. That's another one. Not having the right tools. Like Tony Robbins says, it's not about resources. It's about resourcefulness. Because like I said, I've been in competitions where I didn't have the best resources. But I was the most resourceful. So what I recommend, this is, this is my suggestion for this. Okay, you don't have the right tools, okay? Fine. Use the tools that you do have to become resourceful. Once you are resourceful, either invest and have capital to get the proper resources, or now that you become resourceful and you can show that you're resourceful, network with somebody that does have the resources. So then you can become more resourceful. Going back to what we talked about in the filmmaking community. Also going back to Dove Simmons. First make a film, then you make a deal. So a lot of independent filmmakers that got their start, they didn't have the best resources. A lot of them made what we call low budget or no budget movies. They making movies for less than $20,000. I don't have the best resources. I don't have the best tools. Okay, well, what do they do? They make a low-budget movie. They show that they know how to be resourceful. Then the next project that they make is usually at a high budget. They got better resources, which allow them can be more resourceful. Good example of this is one of my favorites, Chris Nolan. Chris Nolan, first movie, following. He made that for low budget, made that for less than $20,000. Showed his was resourceful. 
legendary filmmaker uh, Steven Soderbergh advocated for Chris Nolan. Chris Nolan's next movie, Memento, which put him on a map, was a $2 million budget. He had a $2 million budget. He went from under $20,000 to a $2 million budget. But why? That's because he showed he, showed he was resourceful first. Then that $2 million budget. Then I believe the next movie he made was Insomnia. I think with uh, it's an Al Pacino or Robert De Niro. He made the movie Insomnia. That was for, I believe, $50 million movie. Then, once he made that movie, he pitched Warner Brothers to do Batman Begins. Then he did Batman Begins. That was successful. That was a $100 million movie. So, as you can see, he went from under $20,000 to two million to a hundred million dollar Batman film that I think made maybe three or five hundred million dollars. Then of course we know what happened. Then the Dark Knight. The Dark Knight was a hundred and eighty five million dollars. That went over to gross over a billion dollars. Then he also did then also too what happened? He did uh the Prestige, that didn't do so well, but he still had a track record. Then it allowed him to do Inception. I think Inception was like an $85 million or $100 million movie. That made $800 million. Then he did, um, then of course, Dark Knight Rises. That was another $185 million movie. That grossed over a billion dollars. So as you can see, he continued to get resourceful. He didn't have the right tools. And that's what a lot of us independent filmmakers and you know, people in general or people in entertainment, if, you, if he would have said, well, I have a movie that I want to make and it's $10 million, but I don't know how the resources to make a 10 million. If he would have been stuck on making a $10 million movie or a million dollar movie like a lot of independent filmmakers, he would have never he would have never got there. Because he used the resources that he had. It's the same thing in the music industry. A lot of times in the music industry, people make what is called mixtapes. It's a sample of their work. But if you just say, oh, I'm going to wait till I get a record deal to produce my best work. No, they want to see, okay, what have you done? The money that you do have, you invest in the studio time. You invest in the engineer. You invest in the producer. Same thing if you was a commercial filmmaker, if you was doing, you know, commercials or you had commercial clients. If you wasn't doing stuff on a small budget and you just complain, oh, I don't have all the right tools. I don't have the right resources instead of trying to make yourself resourceful. So start where you are. And use the resources that you do have. Once again, going back to my book, I didn't have a lot. I didn't have a huge budget to write my first book. But if I say, oh, I'm waiting on Ping on Random House, or if I'm waiting on uh, 
Harper Collins to give me a book deal for me to produce my first book. I've been waiting for a long time. Same thing too. If you're trying to buy a house, get a starter house first. Learn how to take care of that. Or if you get a car, you may not be able to get a Mercedes on your first car. But maybe you might have had a Toyota. Maybe you might have had a Honda or a Hyundai. Take care of that first. My first car was a 99 Pontiac Grand Prix. I learned how to take care of that, didn't move up. And that was one of the mistakes that my, my, uh, my younger brother made. He wanted to get one of his best cars, his first car. And then he complained to my mom about how I had a car. But I got what I could afford. I got what based on the resources that I had. That's what I did. I wanted, a, at the time, I wanted a newer Grand Prix, but I couldn't get that. So I had to get the older version. I had to learn how to take care of that. And then I worked my way up into other cars. So once again, focus on the resources that you currently have. Or should I say focus on the, yeah, focus on the resources and focus on the resourcefulness. Not what you don't have. Get started and go create magic. Another one. I don't know the right people. So start off learning who are the right people. Start with a network that you do have. Not, not starting because you say, oh, well, I don't know the right people. Well, start where you do have and expand your network. This is a simple one. This is probably going to be the shortest one. I give it to you right quick. I don't know the right people. Go find the right people. What you need to do, number one, you need to add value. That's it. Add value and reciprocity. That's how you get to know the right people. Add value, reciprocity, and meet new people. Put yourself out there. Those are the three things that you do so that you know who the right people are. That's it. So once again, add value, reciprocate, and put yourself out there and meet the right people. That's how you get started when it comes to, I don't know, the right people. Next one, lack of experience. This is also an easy one, just like when they say, I don't know the right people. Number one, show up. Number two, just get started. Number three, add value. Number four, law of reciprocity. Number five, put yourself out there. You have to just get started. Everybody started with no experience or very limited experience. But this also comes back to it. Patience. A lot of people don't have patience. This also goes into perfectionism. If the experience doesn't show up the way I want it to, then that means that, oh, that means it's not for me. No, you need to go. If you lack experience, you need to just go get the experience. Now, I know sometimes it's hard because it's like it's kind of like similar to finding a job. It's like you want to go for a job and they're like, oh, well, you don't have a degree. So now you go to school to go get you a degree. Now you come back, you got a degree and they're like, oh, 
well, you don't have the experience. So now you just take a job in order for you to get experience. So then later on, now you have the experience and now you have a degree. But you just you just got to go out there and get experience. That's just something that we all really respect in the world is you have to get experience. So just get started. I just gave you the blueprint. Okay. Last but not least, and this is very, very important. Scared of losing who you are. This all comes down to identity. Who you were versus who do you want to be. That's right. Who you were versus who do you want to be. There's a battle. And you have to pick a side. You cannot be who you were. And you cannot be who you want to be more than likely to achieve a certain goal, a futuristic goal that you want. You got to pick a side. Do you want to stay in the past? Do you want to fight for your limitations? Do you want to fight for your excuses? Or do you say, hey, you know what? I'm changing my identity and I'm going after this thing. And I know delayed gratification is going to come with this. And that's a big reason why a lot of people don't start. They don't want to give up who they were. Or they don't want to give up the habits of who they were to get what they really want. So let's run through it. The three major areas when it comes to money, right? You're trying to make more money or you you want to be wealthy. You got to give up excess spending. You got to give up going out to eat every night. There's things that you have to give up. You have to have a whole different mentality. You're going to have to stay home more. You're going to have to research more. You're going to have, to, going to have projects. You're going to have, the, you're going to have weekend meetings. You may even have certain uh, trips that you have to take. There may be certain conferences you got to go to, certain investments you got to make. If you're trying to live a certain lifestyle or what you feel may be your best version of yourself financially and achieving wealth, you can't do what you used to do. Not only that, to a certain degree, you can't associate yourself with the same people that you used to associate yourself with. Sometimes you can, you know, you can, it's not that you have any bad will or bad ill towards anybody or that you're better than everybody but you're trying to go to the next level you have to change that you know if you want to be a million and you hang around millionaires all the time and you hang around being as you can't be complaining around you can't be around for the most part you cannot be around people or you have to limit the time you hang around people that are broke because all they're going to do is complain and beg you for money That's going to bring you down. Just like what Kobe Bryant said. He don't like lazy people around him. Why? Because he know energy is contagious. Like he said, that's going to slow him down. So he limits his communication his, and the access that people have to him. That just is what it is. 
So you're going to have to get the right financial habits in order to become that millionaire or that billionaire or to just be financially independent. When it comes to your health, you may, which is what I advocate for, especially when it comes to sleep, you're going to need to get to bed early. You can't go out. You can't party like you used to. You can't be up on the phone just scrolling. You can't be distracted. You need to, you need to get to bed by 11 o'clock so that you can get the great sleep. You're going to have to change your diet. You're going to you gotta have to eat nutritious meals. You can't eat them low, cheap, non-nutritious meals. You can't do that anymore. You're going to have to learn to manage your stress. You're going to have to learn to take care of your heart. You're going to have to learn how to, when it's time to be productive, it's time to be productive. You're going to have to learn how to manage your hormones. You're going to have to learn how to exercise regularly. You're going to have to learn how to, there's going to be times for, you know, recreation. There's going to be times not for recreation. You're going to have to learn how to rest and relax and take a break and don't burn yourself out because you're trying to achieve longevity. When it comes to relationships, same thing. You're going to have to learn how to communicate better. You're going to have to learn how to negotiate. You're going to have to learn how to set boundaries. So you're going to have to fight. Do you want to fight for your past or do you want to fight for your future? But like I said, a lot of people are scared of losing who they are. They fight so hard and they'll fight harder for their past than they will for their future. Until usually time go by. Then they look back and they say, you know what, I made a mistake. But how long are you going to continue to make this mistake? How long are you going to continue to let this compound? Remember, life is short. We only got so much time. So, my final question to you is, who do you want to be? Do you want to be the old you or do you want to be the new you? And do you want to fight for your future or do you want to fight for your past? Thank you for listening to the Paradise and Perspectives podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time out to listen to this podcast. We really hope that you got some value out of this podcast and that this podcast will assist with you changing your paradigm and changing your perspective so that you can live the life that you was meant to live. And we look forward to seeing you in another podcast episode. Thank you and have a good day.